0: seated. Thank you for the chance to get away last week. I got to spend uh, Father's Day with my father. It was really good being in Wilmington and just being able to spend a few days with him. Some of you have asked uh, how you can be praying over uh, my dad and my family in that situation. Uh, Dad is still doing pretty good physically, still declining mentally, Um, but the Lord has been really good to my sister and I. He's provided a lot of really good help. He's been watching over us along the way. Uh, If you'd like to pray specifically, we're always in need of uh, consistent health care. We're doing pretty good with the the ladies that we have, uh, but every so often someone ducks out and we have to hire someone else that can be uh, kind of a big deal. And my sister is doing just an excellent job of taking care of all that, but she needs some help with that. So you can pray along those lines. I'd appreciate that. Tim, thanks for sharing last week. I'm glad to have you guys back. It's been good to see you in the flesh again. Savdiel, thanks for leading last week. Appreciate you covering the bases there as well. Uh, We're going to finish up this series that we have been in for almost a month now, talking about learning how to fight from victory. And if you remember, what we said is that the victory of Jesus over sin and death and the devil secures every other victory that we will ever know. That because of his ultimate victory over those things, we can live in victory here on earth in the battles that we face and we will know an ultimate victory one day when Jesus Christ steps back onto this earth physically bodily he is coming back it's not just going to be a spiritual thing he's going to part the sky he's going to come back here he's going to say time out that's enough and he's going to set all this right and i just can't wait that day is coming but between this day and that day we are still cleaning up all of these little spiritual battles that are going on because christ on the cross won that ultimate victory over sin and death and the devil and the the turning point of the war is over but the battles are still being fought because jesus wants to see you and i continue to advance the kingdom of god on this earth so he leaves us here to begin to occupy those places that he wants to control by his Spirit. So he sends us into this physical world around us, and he asks us to create spiritual environments everywhere we go. Now, Pastor Matt, what are the places that the Lord would want me to create a spiritual environment? Anywhere he sends you. I mean, tomorrow when you get out of bed, where are you going? Where where are you going to spend your time tomorrow? Where are you going to work? Who are you going to be with? What is God given into your hands tomorrow? Of every day in your life, there's something unique about tomorrow. There are people that you're going to encounter, you won't encounter again. There are places you'll go. You'll never be before, and you'll never be again. There are uniquenesses about your day tomorrow. And in those places, God wants to see you advance the kingdom of God by creating spiritual environments in physical places through the power of the Holy Spirit. And once those spiritual environments are created, he calls us to stand firm and to maintain them. And remember, we talked about this. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, when Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection, he said this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus makes this amazing promise that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. He gives that to us to advance his kingdom, and that he will be with us everywhere. And we know that's true through the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in our heart. And what we're called to do because those things are true is to go into physical places in this world and to reign spiritually for the kingdom of God. That's the call in your life and my life. Now, we've talked about things that can damage our authority. We looked at some habits and some principles that can damage our authority if we're not careful. But this morning, we want to wrap that up by talking about how can I know when I'm victorious? How can I know when I'm victorious? And I know that probably sounds like a strange question because I've been telling you that every single time that you do God's will in God's way, with God's resources, you're going to see victory. Every single time that you do God's will, in God's way, with God's resources, you can't face defeat. So why would I even have to ask whether or not I would be able to understand if I'm walking in victory? Well, here's why. Because sometimes the spiritual victories that we encounter manifest themselves in the physical world. We see that all over Scripture. So You see things like David conquering Goliath, right? You see the Israelites marching around Jericho and you see the walls fall. You see Daniel being faithful to the Lord and you see the mouths of lions being closed. Sometimes the spiritual victories that we win manifest themselves into the physical world. But there are other times that the spiritual victories that we walk in do not always manifest themselves around us for others to see and for us to see sometimes. We talked about this at the very beginning. The greatest proof of that is what happened to Jesus Christ on the cross that day when God himself as a man took on human flesh and then chose to die on a cross, that looked like the greatest physical defeat in history. A man that appeared to have been railroaded, right? A man betrayed by his own friends, a man who went to minister to people and then who called for his death hanging broken and bleeding, beaten within an inch of his life, naked on a cross, there is no greater sign of defeat than that. But that's not what was reality. In the spiritual realm, there was no greater victory, right? That victory secured every other victory that we know. And it will be a matter of time before that victory is expressed in this physical realm. You see, just because I look at our news and I look at our neighborhood and I look at the problems around us and they don't seem to have bend their knee to Jesus Christ, I know this, ultimately, this is all under His control. And one day, all of this will bend its knee to Jesus, right? So we're waiting for that spiritual triumphant victory to be made manifest everywhere. In this world, And so we have to ask ourselves sometimes, when I have prayed and my cancer is still there. When I have ministered faithfully to my children and yet they still rebel against the Lord. When I have walked with integrity in my workplace and yet I still cannot find favor with those who are in supervision over me where I have given my God-given talents to the Lord in obedience, and yet I still don't see the fruit being produced that I would hope would be there. We have to ask ourselves, if that's the case, how do I know whether or not I am walking in victory? Well, we're going to talk about that today. But before we do, we want to always go to the Word of God. So let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is towards the back of your Bible. If you've got one of the blue Bibles Like I do, it's on page 1873. You can flip there. That'll be about as easy as it's going to get for you. Hebrews chapter 11. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. We do know that whoever that was held this tremendous spiritual authority in this community that they're writing to. We don't know if they planted this church. We don't know if they came into this church and was just recognized as one of the spiritual leaders in the early church. But we do know this. It appears to be a community of believers who came out of the Old Testament faith, who had, had a background of being Jewish believers, but had embraced Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And they saw the gospel as the, the completion of everything that God had promised. And they were walking in that, and those things were going well, except they began to encounter opposition from the world. Specifically, it appears that they were encountering opposition from others who culturally were like them, other Jews who had been raised in that Old Testament faith, but had not embraced Jesus as the Messiah. And so we don't know exactly what was happening. We do know that it doesn't appear that physical persecution has started to take place. They don't seem to be any imprisonments, but we do know this. There's already some tension that's growing in this community and these young believers are being discouraged in their faith. We don't know if maybe they were being kept out of the marketplace by their peers. We don't know if their property was being confiscated. We don't know if they, their children were being barred from education. We, we don't know exactly what was happening. But this writer writes to encourage them. And the reason he does is this, because some of them are wrestling with whether or not they still want to walk with Jesus. Because in many ways, it would just be easier for them to just go back to being just a, a regular, everyday, ordinary Jew. And then they could just fit in with their community again. And they could start buying the things that they want to buy. And, and they wouldn't have to explain to their children all this heaviness that's happening all the time. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, no, you can't go back. No, you can't give up. This is hard. But but what we have is worth it. it it's worth walking out. It's worth waiting for. This may seem like defeat, but, but we're people who are called to victory. We have to wait on God's victory. And so the way he encourages them is to go back to the faithful people of old. And he just walks them through the Old Testament, and he tells them story after story of men and women who were faithful to God and who God brought victory through. So I want us to pick up there, and we're going to spend a good bit of time just reading the scripture and letting it pour over us this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, many uh, scholars call this the hall of faith, this great museum of the saints who walked with the Lord and were faithful even unto death. Listen to some of the things that the writer of Hebrews says here. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of this offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. And by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by faith, his faith, And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, he made his home in a promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city whose foundations and architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear a child because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. You see, how these things would have just washed over the ears of a Jewish audience, tracing the history back to Father Abraham, their, their great ancestor who trusted the Lord, walked with faith. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died, and they did not receive the things promised. I want you to make note of that. That's very important to this entire idea. They did not receive the things promised. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses's parents hid him for three months after he was born because He saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell fell. And after the army had marched around them for seven days, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, and David and Samuel, and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flame. And escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and it became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies, women received back their dead, raised to life again and I want to pause right there because if we just go to that point in Hebrews chapter eleven, then what we see is victory after victory that's manifest on this earth, spiritual victories won in the heavenly realms that were manifested where even the world could see you could see armies armies defeated. You saw walls fall. You saw children miraculously born. But I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit did not let the writer of Hebrews stop there. I'm so grateful that he wrote the rest of this chapter because he wants us to see spiritual victories that were not made manifest on the earth, but were no less spiritual victories. So I want us to keep reading. You ready? Middle of verse 35. Let's pick back up. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were salted too. That's probably the prophet Isaiah. One of God's most famous mouthpieces in the Old Testament. Every Jew would have known the writings of Isaiah. We base the gospel so much on the prophecies of Isaiah, a faithful man of God who tradition says, not scripture, but tradition says was sold in two by King Manasseh because of his faithfulness. Sold in two. That's a bad day of the office. They were killed by the sword they went about in sheepskins skins and goat skins and this is, may very well be a reference to what the romans would do with believers in this day where they would bring them to places like the colosseum and they would wrap them in goat skins and animal skins and then let wild animals like lions and bears loose in the arena because they would be attracted by the smell of the skins and would maul Christians to death. Maybe that's what he's referencing here. They were destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes by the ground. By the way, not by choice. But because, like these Hebrews, they were being excluded from cities, being excluded from suburbs, and being excluded from the marketplace. And so they had to flee into solitary places and make a living. They were all commended for their faith. Did you catch that? It doesn't say Moses and David and Joshua were commended for their faith, but these others were not. It's not what it says. It says they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Wait, what? None of them received what had been promised? You're telling me that when Joshua goes into the promised land and Jericho's walls fall, that's not what was promised? That when Moses led Israel through the Red Sea uh, on dry land, that wasn't what was promised? You're telling me that when Abraham and Sarah finally have Isaac. That's not what was promised. That's not what I'm telling you. That's what Hebrews is telling us. That the victories that these people were seeing in the physical world is not what was promised. It's not what was promised. In fact, it says none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So what was promised? What was promised? Not earthly victory, but the salvation of our souls. The deliverance from this world. The day that Christ would overcome all of this. And whether he allows the wall to fall or the wall to stand, we still can walk in victory because that victory here is not what is promised. What's promised is an eternal relationship with a God who cannot be thwarted and will have his say. He will have his say one day. And when he does, it won't matter what happened to you here. It will matter what you did with him here. What did you do with Jesus? Because these men and women said, if the walls fall, I will obey you. But if it means my life, I'll still obey you. When Isaiah prophesied and things happened, He was faithful. But as they sought him in two, he was faithful. And the writer of Hebrews says, even Isaiah didn't receive what was promised until we could all receive it together. Praise God for that. That's hope. That's victory. So in light of that, look at what he commands them to do. He's like, listen, I've just talked to you about All these people, and you already knew these stories. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. In other words, now that I've told you and reminded you about Abraham, and I've reminded you about Sarah, and I've reminded you about Samson, I've reminded you about these people who have been faithful since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangling us. And let us run with what? Perseverance. I started running the last couple of years. I'm not good at it. It hurts a lot, but it feels good when it's over for some reason. While it's going on, it's not great, but when it's over, it sure feels good. And I've learned in my short time running, there is a difference between sprinting for a short while and having endurance over a long while. And I'm not particularly good at figuring out the distance and the difference between those two things. And so I tend to go out pretty fast. I tend to go out fast and I tend to come in slow because I pay a price for that. It's been hard for me to learn perseverance As I run, as my lungs are betraying me, and as my feet are saying, this is enough, not another half mile, I have learned to tell my body no, because that's the only way that your lungs start to feel better and your feet start to feel better most of the time, is to persevere in those things. And this is what it says here. Let us run that race with perseverance. It's not okay just to start. We're called to finish. We're called to finish. And it takes faith and courage. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Aren't you glad that scripture just pulls back the curtain on the physical world? Because once again, you would never look at the cross with physical eyes. You would never look at the cross with physical eyes and say, that is an instrument that brings joy into the world. Yet with spiritual eyes, Jesus said, it is my joy to embrace the cross. Because my Father asks it of me. And my Father is my joy. Only spiritual eyes can show you that. So verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. So that you will not grow weary. And lose heart. So in your bulletin I just have a few notes. And I want you to take these and I want you to. Sit before the Lord this week and let him speak to you because we can't always see with human eyes what is victory. What's interesting is Jesus said this in John chapter 7, verse 24. This is challenging, a challenging verse for me on a thousand levels, but it's very appropriate in a message like this. Jesus said, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. That's what Jesus told the people in that audience that day. Stop judging by mere appearances. Like, stop making judgments on what appears to be happening around you in the physical realm. Make a right judgment. And what I hope that will come out of this today is that the Holy Spirit will help us to stop seeing what's happening in the physical realm. And we'll make a right judgment of what is happening in the spiritual realm. So... Pastor Matt, how do I know if I'm victorious? Number one, we are victorious every time we step out in faith. Every time we step out in faith, you're victorious. Every time God says for you to trust me, I know you don't understand what's happening. I know you can't even begin to comprehend what's happening. But I want you to trust me. Every time we step out in faith, we are victorious. Every time. That's what an entire chapter of Hebrews teaches us, right? Abraham stepped out on faith. Sarah stepped out on faith. Moses stepped out on faith. David stepped out on faith. And they saw victory. They saw victory. And when we step out on faith, we are victorious. Number two, we're victorious every time we obey. Every time we obey. What made Abraham victorious? God said, I want you to leave your family. I want you to go to a city you've never heard of, a, a land you've never known, and I want you to trust me. And you know what Abraham did? This is crazy to me. He did it. I mean, you know how hard it would be for you and I to pack up everything we know now in a modern world and move across the country to Seattle, where we still have Facebook Messenger, and we can still text people on the phone, and we can still uh, look at FaceTime and communicate with the people we left behind. Abraham, by packing up his goods and his family and leaving his family, left everything, left his family. We don't even see any real connection with his family again. He started over trusting God. That's astounding to me. He stepped out on faith, and he obeyed. God is calling you and I to obey. To obey. I don't think the problem in most of our lives is that God has not yet shown us what to do. The problem in most of our lives is that we have yet to obey it. It's that we've yet to obey it. I'm all in for seeking the Lord on revelation. I really am. I'm all in for seeking the Lord on the Lord's will. But sometimes he's already told you what you should do and we're not willing to obey it. But Every time we obey, we're victorious. Number three, we're victorious every time we die to ourselves. Every time I take Matt Walton and I put him on God's altar and I say, not my will, but your will, God, every single time that is a victory over the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And I know me and I know you. That's a battle that gets fought a hundred times a day. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just die to ourselves at 7.30 in the morning and it just covered the whole day? Wouldn't that be nice? But the problem is, as soon as we stand firm against the enemy that morning, by mid-morning snack, he's come and he's challenged us again. And by the time we stand firm there at 10 o'clock, by lunchtime our flesh is asking something else of us again. And we have to choose to die to ourselves. And what I've found is it's always something fresh and new. It's not like I can learn one lesson, and then I've died to myself in that area. I've learned it's always something fresh and new. The enemy's always dangling, new bait in front of me to take and run with it. We have to die to ourselves again and again. I'll diagnose 99.9 percent of the problems in this church, in all churches and in our culture. I'll diagnose most of them. Here it is: We don't die to ourselves. We want what we want. We want when we want it. We don't care what you want. We want what we, what we want. And if we don't get it, there's going to be consequences. So we we demand and we manipulate and we coerce to get what we want and we're so good at it we don't even realize we're doing it anymore. Like, we're so good at maneuvering people to get what we want. We don't even realize how sinful our motives can be sometimes until the Holy Spirit slows us down and says, Matt, Matt, you should have never said that to her. You were taking advantage of her when you said that. You were manipulating her emotionally to get what you want. You need to go apologize. We have to die to ourselves. Nobody likes to die. Nobody likes, we want to live. I mean, life is fun. It's good. We want to live. Except that Jesus said this. If you want to be my follower, you have to take up your cross daily and follow me. That's an invitation to die. The cross is an invitation to die. But every single time that we die to ourselves every moment of every day you're winning a victory you're winning a victory and number four we are victorious every time our eye is on the victor rather than the victory here's my problem I'll stand firm I'll, I'll be obedient And I'll actually see the Lord bring victory about in the physical world. I mean, there are times a budget comes through. There's times God delivers us out of a problem. There's times the health issue gets corrected. We'll see that. But I can get so caught up in the victory, I lose sight of the victor. Remember what we talked about the very first week? The very first week, this is what we said. The victory of Jesus over sin and death and the devil enables every other victory we can experience. Without that victory, all we know is defeat. But it's that victory and what that secured for us that enables every other victory. But we can get so caught up in what happens with the victory that we stop looking at the victor. We stop loving victory. Him. we stop thinking about what he's thinking about we stop asking what's on your heart we just get caught so caught up in the good things he does for us that we can lose sight of the one who is our good shepherd and what did the writer of hebrews say he says listen let us fix our eyes on jesus that's not let's glance at jesus three times a day what does he say let's fix our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter for our faith. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The way to persevere, the way to not grow weary and lose heart is not to count the victories and the defeats. The way to not lose heart is to fix your eyes on the victor. That's the way. So we're going to end today in a way that I think will stretch you, but I think will be very good for us. Uh, We're going to minister to each other as a congregation because I'm willing to bet that there are those of you in here that feel like you have been listening to the Lord and you have been seeking to be faithful and you have been seeking obedience, but in the physical realm around us, a victory has not been manifest yet. And you feel discouraged. And you feel worn out. And the enemy has actually been shaking your faith lately. He's been saying to you things like there's something wrong with you. I mean, why why can't you just trust God? You're you're just not good. You're never going to get this down. And I just want us to dispel those lies of the enemy this morning. And I want us to encourage each other in the midst of, Of what the world would say is defeat, but what spiritually may be your greatest victory ever. So I want to ask you to do something very courageous, and I know it's courageous. But if you're one of those people, I just want to ask you to stand right where you are. If you're one of those people that feels like you've not yet seen the victory you've been hoping for, I want to invite you to stand. Anyone? I figured. This is super hard. This is so super hard. Now, believers, we're called to spur each other on to love and good deeds. That's what Hebrews chapter 10 says. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39 says, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who believe and are saved. That's who we are. So I want to invite us to be able to minister to each other right now. So as you see someone around you, I want to challenge you to do another thing that takes a lot of courage. If you're sitting, I want to ask you to gather around some of these folks. And I want to invite you just to pray for them. To pray for them. To lay your hands on them if that's okay with them. If that's okay with them. And to pray for them. And ask God to strengthen their faith. And ask God to help them be obedient during this time. And ask God to help them keep their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. So that they can walk through an incredibly difficult time. I want to invite you just to gather around. Any of these folks that are standing, let's gather. And I just want to encourage you. You don't have to ask for permission.